Welcome in to the Utopia Football Podcast, the week one post-game edition. We are just hours removed as we record this from the Houston Texans finishing with the first tie in franchise history. We're 20 years into this thing, and it took till season number 21 for them, week one of season 21, for them to finish in their first tie. And this is a tie that has a lot of Texan fans feeling all sorts of different ways. 20 to 20 against the Indianapolis Colts, and we're going to dig into it right now. It's me, Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, joined as always by our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com, GallerySports.com as well, and of course my co-host here on the Utopia Football Podcast, the Hall of Famer, John McClain. And John, uh, a tie, we've never experienced one of these as a uh, Texans fan nor media member before. What are your What are your feelings coming out of this tie right off the top? Well, first thing, Sean, I'd like to point out, I've got my report card, an extensive report card, much more in-depth than I ever did for the Chronicle. It's on sportsradio610.com. And it's kind of weird. You know, they were underdogs for seven, six and a half, seven. So, you know, but they could have won. If this had been a game where they had rallied like the Colts did, I think people would feel better about it. But the fact they should have won, they blew it. 20 to three lead. I think people do feel bad about it and they should. And Lovey Smith, I think what happened, he didn't trust his defense that he said was drained. And I don't think he trusts his offense. They hadn't done squat in four series. And going back to the strip sack by speed that Laramie Tunsil let speed run by him while he was doing a double team with Kenyon Green. And from that point on, the offense was terrible. And the defense, and Lovey did mention this, he said it was drained. And if Burkhead hadn't lost two yards uh, on that third and one, I guess they would have gone for it. But the way I look at it is they're not going to the playoffs. And a loss isn't all that bad if you if you think about next year's draft, and I know it's too early to do that, but I would have I would have gone for it on fourth and three, and I don't think anybody would have complained about it. No, John, I, I can tell you, I just got done fielding dozens of phone calls on the post game show, and the 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 people that were irate that he didn't choose to go for it on fourth and three as opposed to punting, it was like ninety percent to ten percent. I put up a poll on Twitter too, and the numbers kind of bear that out too. It's 80 something percent for people who are saying, yeah, we wanted to see him. We wanted to see him go for it right there. You're absolutely right, John. I think given where this team is, you know, given the, the fact that losses are not the worst thing in the world for where this team is probably going to finish. Clint and I were saying on the post game show, can you imagine if they finish a half game out? Like if this tie ends up keeping them out of the number one spot in the draft at the end of the year, I'll tell you what's even worse if that tie keeps them from getting home field advantage in the playoffs. <laughs> yes. We were all in the media room and everybody was complaining. I said, yeah, all you guys won't be complaining at the end of the season if the tie helps them get home field advantage in the playoffs. Yeah. And a couple of them looked at me like I was serious. Oh, that's funny. Uh, so, um, so Johnny, you and I are both in agreement on that. We would like to have seen Lovey go for it there. Just a few numbers to your point. 
that turnover, the strip sack fumble, after that turnover, not including the kneel down at the end of regulation by Mills, the Texans ran 16 plays for 24 yards the rest of the game. So I'm completely with you. I know exactly why Lovey did what he did. He had zero confidence in either side of the ball to go and execute um, a, a fourth and three, or if they didn't execute the fourth and three and they got stopped, he didn't have confidence that his defense wouldn't give up a chunk play to allow another Rodrigo uh, Blankenship field goal. Which brings me to the other thing that I think a lot of people are talking about. You and I are going to do four stock up and four stock down here in just a minute. But the big storylines from this game, other than the tie and the Lovey Smith punt, and we were talking about this up in the press box as you probably were, why are we seeing so much of Rex Burkhead today? The, 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 final, the final tally on the box score, Rex Burkhead had 19 touches in this game. Damian Pierce had 12 touches in this game. And it felt a lot more lopsided than that because it felt like in the situations that were big situations like that third and one in overtime, Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton went to Rex Burkhead in those situations. John, if this is a trend that holds up, this is going to be another thing that eats away at the trust of Texan fans. If Rex Burkhead is once again featured on this offense more than other people, especially more than Damian Pierce, this is going to be a big problem for a lot of people. Well, I did some investigating and I found out why that was. And I tweeted it during the game. Burkhead's getting all these touches because Jack Easterby's calling the plays. <laughs> that is that is ex- the only explanation you yeah. can pro- possibly give for Burkhead, who led the team in rushing last year for the fewest yards in the history of this franchise for a leading rusher. And nothing against Burkhead. He's a third down back. He, he blocks. He can catch pretty well. But, my goodness, he's not going to get any better. And it's not like Damian Pierce has a fumbling problem. I thought it was terrible strategy. Unless your goal is to have Burkhead average 2.9 a carry, your team to average 2.8, which is even worse than your 3.4 that was the worst in the NFL last season. Yeah, John, it's just the frustrating thing. And here's the thing. You brought up this point. We're talking about this in the aftermath of a tie, which mathematically was a successful day if you're somebody who believes in point spreads. You know, you they were a touchdown underdog in this game, more than a touchdown earlier in the week um, until the line moved. And so just mathematically, this was a game where the Texans actually showed up and competed with the team that I think is the best team in their in their division. And here we are after the game, and we're talking about the Texans, I think, I think giving back a lot of goodwill that they had built up through the preseason. You know, I think Lovey, it was hard for Lovey to do anything wrong in the preseason just because everybody felt so good about him as a hire. I think he, with a lot of people, he gave a lot of that back today. And I think the other thing that was, that to me, I was enthusiastic about with the Texans was their handling of Damian Pierce in the preseason seemed to indicate that we were gone were the days where rookies were sent into the corner and they had to earn their way out of the corner. You know, they were treating Damian Pierce like he should be treated, by far their most talented and best running back. And now here we are after week one, especially when there were leverage plays in this game, John. Third and one, overtime, you got to have it. I don't have a problem with Rex Burkhead getting carries during the game. I have a big problem with Rex Burkhead getting the biggest carries in leverage situations in this game. Nobody is going to disagree with you on that. Everybody believes the same thing and you'd hope when they go to Denver that Damian Pierce has more touches than Burkhead because right now their running game is pathetic just like the last two seasons maybe it will change maybe because 
Tunsil didn't play in preseason. Justin Brent didn't play in preseason. Kenyon Green played one game in preseason. But, man, oh, man, they look like they got the same old problems as they've had, even though it's early. And as bad as everybody feels in Houston, can you imagine how they feel in Indianapolis, come down here and almost blow a game to the Texans and end up with a tie? Well, John, I mean, they made so many mistakes. They did everything they could to give this game to the Texans between penalties, you know, the roughing the punter penalty that kept the, got the Texans out from the shadows of their goalposts on fourth down. Um, the, you know, there, there were pass interference penalties. There was Rodrigo Blankenship single-handedly tried to give the game to them at the end of regulation and in overtime with the two kickoffs out of bounds and the missed field goal. I mean, it, John, they did, the Colts did so many things wrong today that the Texans really, really missed an opportunity here. Let me just point something out. This may be the last time I'm able to say that this season. The Houston Texans are tied for first place in the AFC South. How about that? How about that? Yeah, 0-0-1. Is that the most AFC South-looking standings of all time? Oh, right? my goodness. The Titans, Titans blow a game. The Jaguars came back, could have won at Washington. They blew it. In the end, the division looks really bad after one game. It does. So, hey, maybe Lovey Smith is a delicate genius then. If this division's that bad, maybe 8-8-1 eight, eight and one gets it done this year. <laughs> Who knows, John? Who knows? All right, let's get to some four-stock up and four-stock down. Again, the two biggest storylines in this game, to me, are Lovey Smith's decision to punt in overtime, which has a lot of Texan fans very upset, and then uh, the use of Rex Burkhead in this game versus Damian Pierce. That has a lot of people upset. However, there were some good things that came out of this game, and we we always hit those in in stock up, four stock up and four stock down. John, I always let you go first. Who is your first stock up today? O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard had three touchdowns in his last two seasons with Tampa, one of which he uh, blew out his Achilles. He had two touchdown catches today. He and Davis Mills connected. They lined him up on the double tight end on the last one, and it went for 22 yards to put them ahead 20 to three. The first one was 16 yards. They still need a tight end who can block and help them on the run. But, man, O.J. Howard, to get here as late as he did, that is something to really latch on to for the next game against Denver. Yeah, I, you know, John, I feel good about that. You and I um, and Seth, we brought that up, and we do the inactives with you during the pregame. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that jumped out at us was, hey, it's not necessarily who's inactive. Hey, look, O.J. Howard is active, and it was kind of highlighted because Tyler Johnson, who was the other player they had picked up last week, they picked him up off of waivers. He was, he was inactive, you know, and I thought O.J. Howard might be just based on maybe knowledge of the playbook or whatever, but tight end is such a sort of a – it's such a shaky position on this team right now that – the, the two plays he caught the touchdowns on, John, that might be the only play he knows in the whole playbook, but he executed it really, really well. Uh, Teddy, the tight ends as a whole, John, just to add to your point, um, I'll add Brevin Jordan and Farrell Brown, four catches for 60 yards and those two touchdowns. Um, so it was overall a good day for the tight end position. Farrell Brown had a big catch early in the game that got them out of the shadows of their goalposts there with a 17-yard catch. So overall, yes, a really, really good debut for O.J. Howard. My first stock up is Jerry Hughes. We had him on the post-game show today. Um, and he was great. Uh, talked a lot about uh, Lovey Smith recruiting him to come here and taking him out to eat at Stake 48 and kind of explaining how he would be deployed in this defense and what his vision for the team was, Lovey Smith. And, and Jerry Hughes said not only, you know, obviously he was sold on this being his hometown, but that really helped him solidify his decision as well. 
John, anytime he's had a chance to get out there on the field in the preseason, Jerry Hughes has been effective. He's been impactful. He was really impactful today. Two sacks. He, of course, had an interception as well. John, I think you could argue that between the interception, which was in Texans territory, and then the sack on Matt Ryan, where he forced a fumble, but Braden Smith fell on it. After that sack of Matt Ryan, the, 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 the Colts were in field goal range before that sack. That sack knocked them to the fringe, and then they had a delay a game penalty with Hughes lined up over Braden Smith, who false started. Not a delay a game, a false start penalty, I should say, that drew them back five more yards. I think between those two sequences, the interception and the strip sack fumble, you could argue that, that Jerry Hughes saved at least six points on the scoreboard today. Um, for the Texans, and who knows, maybe more if the Colts drive down there and get points. This is a really good first game for Jerry Hughes. It's amazing to me, Sean. He's been in the league as long as he has. He's 34 years old. He looks as quick as he used to. But that was only the second interception of his career. Is it really? Wow. Just the second one, huh? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was good to see, man. Jerry Hughes, um, nice game for uh, for Jerry Hughes today. Um, all right, uh, John, your next stock up. Go ahead. Camus Grosier-Hill was in on 18 tackles, including 14 unassisted, one for loss, knocked down a pass. Uh, he was their leading tackler by far. Not by far, Jonathan Owens was in on 15, 11 unassisted, but I'm going with Grosier-Hill, who made some good plays, including a few times where they stuck Jonathan Taylor but they just kept feeding him the rock, and eventually he wears you down. Yeah, I feel like Owens with the 11 tackles. I think Jalen Petrie was in on a lot of plays today, today too. He, according to the scoreboard, only five tackles. But anytime your safeties are getting a bunch of tackles, John, I feel like those tackles were all on, on those plays by Jonathan Taylor where he's getting those big chunk plays in the second half. <laughs> you know, they're tackling him. They're, you know, they're tackling him 10 yards, 14 yards down the field. I'm with you. Grusier Hill was he was solid today. He he was in he was in on a lot of plays. I thought he he had an impactful game today. I did. Right, the one other thing about him is he makes them he makes them around the line of scrimmage, sometime in the backfield, sometime when he's dropped into coverage. Too. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. My last one, stock up. Our last one here, four stock up and four stock down. John, I thought Chris Moore did some good things today. He had some he had some important plays today. Chris Moore did three catches for 31 yards on the box score. Uh, but it felt like when he when he got the football, he had a play, a kind of a bubble screen play where he shook a guy, juked him, and got some yards after the catch that we don't see that a lot on bubble screens with the Houston Texans. Um, so only three catches for 31 yards, but he's your fourth or fifth wide receiver, and he made some impactful plays. He had a catch on a, a the play where Davis Mills drew the roughing the passer penalty. Um, that was Chris Moore on the other end. That was probably Davis Mills' best throw all day. Um, but Chris Moore made a great catch on that. So I, it was nice to see. I, John, I think it was part of an overall theme, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about Mills and stock up and stock down at some point here because it's probably what Mills didn't do down the stretch for this team that's going to stand out more given that they had built a 20-3 to lead and coughed it up. Um, but the one thing I thought Davis Mills did do a pretty nice job of was kind of spreading the ball around. You know, he, he, he hit, by my count, he hit uh, today Cooks, Howard, Moore, Burkhead, he, I mean, he hit nine or 10 different guys with passes today. So he was able to spread the ball around pretty good. And Chris Moore was a big beneficiary of that. So there you go. Those are our four stock up. John, you want to get things kicked off with four stocks down on the Texans 20 to 20 tie with the Colts today. We'll start with left tackle Laramie Tunsil. He was doing a double team with Kenyon Green on the right defensive end. And, and uh, EJ's 
speed, a linebacker blew by him, and it looked like he should have peeled off and uh, and and blocked him because after he had the sack that forced a fumble at the 20-yard line, you could see Tunsil kind of put his head down like he knew it was his fault, and so I would start with Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, I mean, that, that changed everything, John. After that, I mentioned earlier, after that play, um, the Texans offense went 16 plays for 24 yards, not including a kneel down at the end of regulation by Davis Mills. I would say the other thing for, um, and maybe this leads into my first stock down, which is Davis Mills, you know, in terms of closing out a game late, you know, Mills was, he was outstanding through the first, really up to the series with the fump, with the sack fumble. He was really, really good. He was 20 of 29 by my count, 20 of 29 for 214 yards and the the two touchdowns before the series with the strip sack fumble. Once the strip sack fumble happened, he, I mean, they, they, they couldn't stay on the field. I mean, he was 0 for 1, then 0 for 2, and then they had the series where he got sacked, threw an incomplete pass, sacked again. He was able to move the ball a little bit in overtime, but that was about it. The rest of the way, John, after the strip sack fumble, he was only three for eight for 26 yards the rest of the way. You know what this game reminded me of today, John? It reminded me, reminded me of that Patriots game last year in week five where the Texans built a 22 to nine lead against the Patriots and everybody's feeling good. Like, wow, they're beating a team. They're not supposed to, they're not supposed to beat. And then they just got stuck in mud the rest of the way. They just couldn't execute. If Mills is going to be the guy, he's got to be able to, you got to go get a field goal, man. Like I, nobody's asking you to go, come from behind and score a touchdown. They're asking you to go get a field goal up 20 to six, you know, and keep it a three score game. And he's not doing that right now. One of the things he couldn't do is get the ball to his wideouts. Yeah. Only three wideouts caught passes. And if you take away the 42 yard flea flicker on the first play of the second half in which he uh, threw the cooks, the wide receivers had 11 catches for 97 yards. Mm. And that's not what you need. And I blame Mills for not getting the ball to him. John, I and I would submit that the pass you're talking about to Cooks on the flea flicker, while it was by far the longest gain of the day on the box score, it was 42 yards, it might have been his worst throw of the day. And that if he just throws it out a little further and leads Brandon Cooks, Cooks is walking into the end zone with that. Like that, they left a touchdown off the field. You know, they went on to score a field goal in that drive. But I would I would argue that that flea flicker throw by Davis Mills, which if you're a franchise quarterback, you've got to make that throw. That was a negative four point throw. That should have been seven points, and they wound up with three. Who's your next stock down, John? I'm going to do two of them: Rex Burkhead and Damian Pierce. They had 25 carries, 73 yards. Neither one of them had a run of more than eight yards. And Burkett averaged 2.9 and carried Pierce 3.0. And Pierce slipped once and he lost three yards. That's what hurt him. And they came out after that. But I I, I think they should have – well, Pierce should have done better. He's got talent. Burkett's never going to be any better. The coaches dislike him because he doesn't make mistakes. Or maybe they're dreaming about that Chargers game again, which is the best game of his career. But just the two running backs – 25 for 73 and no touchdowns and a long gain of eight ain't gonna cut it. That's yeah, John. What is it with this run game with this team, man? Like it, I feel like every offseason we're like, oh, you know what? They they do have some talent on the offensive line, and now they've got a new offensive line coach. They do got some talent on the offensive line, and they drafted Kenyon Green and they got a new offensive line coach. And then here we are in week one, 
It's the same old thing, man. After the game, Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard both talked about miscommunication. And I guess that comes when you have a new coach, you have two guys that didn't play at all in preseason, one who played, Kenyon Green, who played in one game, and you'd think that the continuity would be better. But what you think you'd have for sure is two tackles who've been together, Tunsil and Howard, and you wouldn't expect them to be making mistakes. Nope. Um, all right, John, my last one, last stock down, um, Lovey Smith. Uh, Lovey Smith, conservative coach. And I'm not even talking just about the decision to punt in overtime. Fourth and three uh, at the about midfield. I think it was on the Colts 49-yard line with about 24 seconds to go in overtime. That's a decision everybody's going to talk about. He was conservative throughout the game, though, I would say, John. There was a point in the game, to me, where the worm turned in this game. The strip sack fumble is what everybody's going to point to because that's something easy to see and easy to point to, and it led to a very short um, it led to a very short Colts touchdown drive. But if you recall the series before that, the one that started out at the Texans' one-yard line, they were up 20-3 to three and got the ball at their own one-yard line because Desmond King let the ball roll down to the one-yard line there. They got to get out of jail free card with a roughing the punter or running into the punter penalty. And they were able to burn about six and a half minutes off the clock and get the ball into Colts territory. But they had fourth and three at the Colts 36 yard line. And instead of choosing to either go for it there, which is kind of the area of the field where you can go for it on something like that. Keep in mind at that point, the, the Texans are still moving the football. We'd not hit fourth quarter mills yet. You know, they were still moving the football at that juncture in the game. Instead of going for it on fourth and three at the 36 or uh, trying a long field goal, which they did quite a bit with Kaimi Fairbairn, would have been a 53-yard field goal. They take a delay a game and they punt from the 41-yard line of the, of the Colts. And that, to me, that's where the playing not to lose started for me. And if you look at all the stats, John, that's when, that's when things started to really go sideways for the Texans. I, I think Lovey's decision to punt in overtime is going to get all the attention. And that's understandable. Um, but that was not the first overly conservative decision that he made in the game that I thought affected the flow of this game. He That needed to be a go-for-it situation or a field goal attempt from a, a field goal kicker that you're paying to make 53-yard field goals in Kaimi Fairbairn. And Kaimi Fairbairn has done that before. Yeah. And uh, Lovey was asked about that after the game. I can't remember what he said about why he did it. But, yes, that was being conservative, and they were up 20 to 3. Colts came back, made it 20 to 6. But when you're the Texans, and I understand he's a first-time head coach with the Texans, third time in his career, and you know he felt terrible after the game because they should have won it, and he knows they should have won it. So I could understand him thinking about the tie being better than a loss. But to me, it's not like his job's in jeopardy. It's not like he's got owner putting pressure on you. You don't need to do that. If it backfires, I think people would understand. But you're definitely right about that series uh, uh, late in the third quarter that extended into the fourth quarter. Yep. Yep. I I thought that was, I thought that was bad. It was, it it didn't get as much reaction because they're up 20 to three at the time. You know, it's, you're not in a point in the game where emotions are high, but I just remember at the time thinking, man, that's, there's three things you can do there. Go for it, kick a field goal or punt. And he just did the one that is, it's the least 2022 thing of any of, uh, you know, the the coaches would do these days in a situation like that. I tell you, since we're all talking about them blowing the lead, settling for the tie, something that didn't get a lot of attention, but I think should have. When Kyle Allen was 
made inactive and Jeff Driscoll had been brought up from the practice squad, first I thought Kyle Allen must be hurt or ill and I checked and he was not. And I'm thinking, okay, why do they want Driscoll's their backup? And then two times we saw him come in and the last time he came in for Mills and according to Lovey, he had a run pass option and he ran for five yards in the first down. We asked Lovey, is this something that's gonna happen regularly? Well, of course he wasn't gonna tell us that. He said, it probably just depends on the opponent. But I thought that was, that was Pep Hamilton. The flea flicker was Pep Hamilton. But if Driscoll comes in, won't defenses think, well, he's in to run the ball because he runs better than he throws. Yeah, they're telegraphing it. And I'll say this, the two times they brought him in today, they were both successful plays. You know, they, they were short yardage, third down situations. And one of them was a play that was kind of a busted play a little bit that Driscoll uses athleticism to kind of tight rope the sidelines. I'm frustrated with the whole Driscoll thing, you know, but, uh, um, I, you know, th today's a tough day for me to like, Still criticizing the Jeff Driscoll thing because they brought him in for two plays and it worked out, you know. Can't criticize it. He's the comeback kid. He, he is three season games. He's John. He's like maybe if they fall behind, it uh, they'll put him in at the end of the game and so, bring him from behind to win. From your lips to God's ears, John McClain. Yeah, we'll see <laughs> see what happens with that. Um, all right, John. Before we get out, so that's your four stock up and four stock down. Before we get out, I would say just. As far as big storylines going on from around the league, you mentioned it. The other two games in the AFC South, because of the results of that, the Texans sit atop the AFC South with the Colts at 0-0-1 right now um, because the Jacksonville Jaguars lost to the Washington Commanders in Washington 28-22, uh, to the final score of that game. And the other one, which just finished up here a few minutes before you and I started recording, the New York Giants pull off the upset in Tennessee, 21 to 20 over the um, over the Tennessee Titans. And the story of this game was Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was outstanding in this game. 18 carries, 164 yards and a touchdown. And the biggest play of the game was a two point conversion to put the Giants ahead in the waning moments of the game. That was honestly, John, it was a two point conversion where you watch Saquon Barkley and you go, OK, I don't agree with drafting a running back number two overall if you're the Giants a few years ago, but that play is why you draft a guy number two overall. It was a shovel pass where he basically uh, carried a couple of Titan defenders into the end zone with him. It was it was a great thing to see, man. A lot of I know you do radio in Nashville. A lot of sad Nashvillians tonight for sure. Oh, that's absolutely. I was thinking at the end of the game, if the Texans pulled it out. And I thought Jacksonville was going to win at Washington because they had the ball deep in their territory. I was going to call the ASC South Sunbelt Conference. <laughs> but then the Jaguars blow it. Saints made a great comeback, win by one. The Bears had to come from behind to beat the Niners. At halftime, I noticed Justin Fields' rating was 2.7. Wow. Then he threw two touchdown passes. The Steelers win by three in overtime. At Cincinnati, the Eagles were way out of the Lions. They win by three in Detroit. And uh, I noticed at halftime, the Ravens had 11 yards rushing with Lamar Jackson, but they were winning, and they won 24-9 to against the Jets and Joe Flacco. And Washington won 28-22. Browns came back on a 58-yard field goal yeah. to win 26-24. So one thing you can count on, I saw stats, how great Patrick Mahomes has been in his first games, and he goes to Arizona 
and they win 44 to 21. If you had to look at these teams, you'd think Chiefs are going to win it all again. Packers get beat by the Vikings. Didn't they lose the first game last year? They got blown out by Jameis Winston, 35-3. Something yep. like that. Yep. So one of the things this tells me about the Texans, that it doesn't look like they're going to be pushovers unless the Colts are not going to be as good as we think. Frank Reich failed to win an opener for the fifth year in a row, but he's closer. <laughs> he is closer. He is close. Well, I was thinking about Frank Reich, John, when Lovey Smith decided not to go for it in overtime. If you recall back in 2018, a couple of 0-3 teams, the Texans and the Colts, going at it in week four, and it was Frank Reich deciding to go for it on fourth and four in overtime that opened the door for the Texans to get their first win and what wound up being a nine-game, a franchise record nine-game winning streak for the Texans. Um, and I remember criticizing Frank Reich and afterwards, there were a lot of people going, no, the reason he's doing this is you try to go for the win. You go for the win. And you know what? Here I am four years later. And I'm like, you know what? Those people might have been right. <laughs> they might have been right. That's right. You know, he, in that game, Jonathan Joseph stopped Chester Rogers. Yep. He got cut by the Texans. But if, if Lovey Smith had gone for it, there'd been a lot of people say, oh, no, you shouldn't. And if you think at the time, the Texans offense was awful. Yeah. And they needed three yards. And he'll never say that. But I think in Indy, they got to be on the ledges tomorrow to think that the Colts are supposed to win the division. Can't beat the Texans. But the bright spot is they're tied for first place, too. Yeah, I don't know. If I'm a Colts fan, John, I just feel like if the Colts stop doing a lot of dumb stuff that they were doing, they're going to be fine. I don't think they're – I didn't watch today and think Matt Ryan's a quarterback who's going to go win them a Super Bowl. But I no. think – especially after watching the Titans against the Giants this afternoon. I'm, if I'm a Colts fan, I'm feeling actually pretty good that they're at least going to win the division. You know, like so, I, I was going to tell you, Sean, the dumbest play of the game, you got Jonathan Taylor yeah. and you're about to score a touchdown and you put Naheem Hines yeah. to take a direct snap and yeah. you get stuffed on fourth down with Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, John. And they lost this game, he'd get roasted again. Yeah, John, how about Jonathan Taylor, who was – outstanding today he was great 31 carries for 161 yards and in the second half he was a diesel 18 wheeler steamrolling the texans but john how about jonathan taylor on the last possession of regulation for the colts running out of bounds in front of the in front of the first down marker he he, he walks out of bounds without any real pressure on him and leaves it fourth and one and the colts have to punt the ball back to the texans at the end of regulation there oh that's enough i forgot about that that's another thing for the media and the fans in Indianapolis to analyze and get on the Colts about. Yeah, John, I mean, the Colts just, I mean, but Matt Ryan fumbling a snap that Christian Kirksey fell on. I mean, the, this game was really there for the taking for the Texans. They all they, needed, all they needed was a field goal in the fourth, at any juncture in the fourth quarter, a field goal to make it a three-score game early in the fourth quarter or when they're, when they're uh, up by a touchdown, 20 to 13. Just go down and get a field goal to make it a two-score game again, and your chances of winning that game are well into the 90% range, and they couldn't get it done today. I, you're right, John. This was I, this is how I led into the post-game show. I said both of these teams played in the second half. Like, well, really, throughout the game, both of these teams did so many things that made it seem like neither of them wanted to win the game. They both got their wish. Neither team won the game. That's exactly how it should have finished. <laughs> well, I get, let me reiterate. I've got my grades on SportsRadio610.com. I, I couldn't decide, considering they were underdogs, 
I was only tough on the running backs and the offensive line. I gave them Fs, no F minuses. And then I have a column on gallerysports.com. So, uh, and then we will be tweeting this out on sportsradio610.com on Monday. Yep, absolutely. This will drop on Monday. So this is fun to get to do this right after the game is over. We're going to be doing this throughout the season. The great one, John McClain. Of course, we thank Figgy Fig for uh, for producing this podcast, making sure it's getting onto all of your phones or your laptops, wherever you consume your podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to the Utopia Football Podcast. We also encourage you, our next podcast will be our mailbag, which will drop on Wednesday, mailbag at gmail.com. I can imagine the questions you guys want to ask in the wake of a 20 to 20 tie with the Colts. So send in your questions about this game or anything you saw around the league, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. And John and I dig into those in a couple of days and we can't wait to record that one. Uh, Just, you know, John, it's a 20 20 to 20 tie with the Colts, but I'm just so excited the season is here, man. Me too. And I feel bad for you because as someone who did mailbags for years, when the, when the listeners and the readers are angry, it takes forever to go through them. So be prepared for a whole bunch. John, that is a problem I am willing to have. Absolutely. <laughs> John, uh, thank you very much as always. Yeah, John, great stuff. He's the Hall of Famer, John McClain. I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. Appreciate all of you tuning into the Utopia Football Podcast. We will see you a little later on this week with the mailbag 20 to 20, a Texas tie with the Indianapolis Colts. Have a great couple days, everybody. <laughs>